Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Chris Fritz from the View Core team. Hello. Divya Sasidaran, developer advocate at Netlify and View contributor. Hello. Eric Hanchett, author of Vue.js in Action. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Max Wood, and I've been playing Blackjack for the last little while. We've got a special guest this week, and that's Kevin Drum. Kevin, do you want to say hi? Hello. This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at viewsonview.com slash Kendo UI. Uh, now, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, I'm Kevin Jerome. Uh, I live in Virginia. Um, I'm a remote developer for a company called Asteris out of Colorado, and they provide various imaging solutions to uh, veterinary medicine industry, veterinarians and specialists. Um, and so I actually work on a view app every day um, called Keystone Omni, which allows veterinarians and specialists to view and study their medical images like CT scans, ultrasounds and x-rays. Uh, in the browser, and they can annotate, study them, share them with other veterinarians. Um, and so that's what I do. And obviously, the reason I'm on the show today is because I created a blackjack game with Vue. Nice. And yeah, I was looking at this, and I think generally when we're looking at web applications and the kinds of things that most people are doing with Vue, they're kind of uh, managing data and giving you different views on the data and things like that. So what makes you think, oh, blackjack, of course. Well, my reasons were selfish, really. I just wanted something I could put in a portfolio to show a potential employer um, that I could build a web app. Um, I don't have a whole lot of uh, code out there in the wild. So I wanted to make something that was more fun than just an e-commerce site or a dashboard. Um, And I didn't want to do anything too ambitious. So I thought, why not do a game? Um, and I've played quite a bit of blackjack in casinos in my day. So I decided to make a blackjack game. So, so what kind of work out there already for that? Or did you do your own? Uh, no, I did uh, everything by hand. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think I used anything. Um, I just uh, did it in Illustrator mostly. Nice. I, I was going to ask if there are any special concerns for like making an app that is a game that you found that's it's different from most of the the typical applications that you'll build or, or making an app that uses Canvas. And we can talk about those separately if you'd like. Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, So in my case, I decided to not use Canvas. Uh, I just went with uh, DOM elements for everything. So every card is a DOM element. Um, The little coins that fly up and down are DOM elements. Um, So this is just HTML? Yeah, it's all just HTML, uh, SVG. I'm actually using the SVG use tag, uh, use xlink href uh, in a couple places to actually pick an SVG out of uh, a group of SVGs. I think I don't know what the technical term for those SVG maps. I think maybe some people call them. Cool. And I, I noticed you have some like cool, you know, transitions and animations and stuff like that. Is that something that you found Vue helps you with a lot? Or, you know, are, are you using other libraries for that kind of stuff? So... I decided to keep it simple. Uh, so the cards, as they come in and fly out, that's all just view transitions. And uh, there are some CSS animations. So the little coin spinning at the bottom is just, I add a class to the coin and it starts spinning. Um, there's a class that dictates whether the card is flipped over or not. But I've obviously played with some other 
I played with uh, Green Sock um, quite a bit. Um, thinking about using that actually in a slot machine game, sort of a side project I've been working on as well. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about Green Sock, and a lot of folks that get into animation seem to eventually wind up using it. It's very popular in the view community, uh, in large part thanks to Sarah Dresner, who is uh, possibly better at Greensock than Greensock developers. Uh, she, she, she does some really <laughs> awesome stuff with it, and, and she's, she's helped me learn a lot. Yeah, I think Greensock is great, um, especially if you're doing really complicated things, um, and the performance is great, and you can actually build timelines of animation, whereas when you're just sort of animating DOM elements, it's, it's hard to really compose animation uh, unless you leverage things maybe like view transition hooks you can kind of use sometimes to sort of chain animations as state changes. Um, but I think GreenSock's really nice if you're doing something complex. I was just going to ask if there's a GreenSock view plugin somewhere. I've never done that. So there's, there's not a view plugin. In our state transition docs, and I'll, I'll leave this in the show notes, we do have a bunch of examples using GreenSock to walk you through how to, how to do various animations. And uh, it works with, with Vue's reactivity system. So, so you basically just tell GreenSock to like, change these values in your state. And then because the state is reactive, the view will automatically update accordingly. So in this case, GreenSock isn't actually touching the DOM. It's just animating the state. Although in some cases, it, it may be useful to have it touch the DOM as well. But something, something I really like to do is just keep it solely in charge of the data and transitioning that data. And then having Vue still take complete control of all the rendering. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I need to look those up. That's interesting. I always worry about the performance of manipulating the data really fast. If you have something that you're trying to do, you know, 60 frames per second on, um, as opposed to just animating and then letting the data catch up later. Yeah, it, it, there are always trade-offs. But I found that, um, especially if you're, if you're using, you know, technologies like Canvas and WebGL, that this becomes pretty apparent. The views data, uh, like uh, updates, like isn't actually the bottle point. It's the the actual HTML and SVG, which you know happen to be slow in the browser. So you know you can have thousands of nodes updating every second, and it can still be very performant in HTML and SVG. And if you're using Canvas or WebGL, you know you can get to like. 100,000 nodes <laughs> and still have it be really performant. And, and both of them can use views data. It's just changing the, the way that that rendering happens. Okay, I think that makes sense. I think where I was thinking about uh, uh, in the software that I work on every day, we have ultrasound recordings that are a sequence of images, essentially like a video, and a veterinarian can play back a sequence of ultrasounds at 30 frames per second, 60 frames per second, they basically get to pick their frame rate. Problem we had at one point is we were actually mutating our Vuex state uh, 60 times a second. And so in some browsers, it just was not able to actually keep up with what the, the user was wanting. You know, we were maybe getting 30 frames per second. But a lot of that, I think, came down to the fact that we were triggering some repaints and recalculations elsewhere that we didn't need to be. So I think that's a good point. As long as you can keep your data simple and not trigger uh, extra side effects and extra repaints, then I think it makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's really surprising sometimes. Uh, at least it's been surprising to me, like how fast the JavaScript actually is and, and how fast Vue actually is. 
And the fact that like, it's, it's really the specific technologies, you know, like HTML and SVG that happen to be slow sometimes, but really only in extreme cases. Like I've been surprised uh, how far I can push those sometimes too. Like, so how do you worry about that in your blackjack app though? (laughs) Just a few. You don't have thousands of cards, you know, constantly animating on the page at one time. No, no. Um, I just recently added the little stars that fly by in the background and that's, that's about as complicated as it gets, really. That's a, that's a nice little touch. So those are, are those just like divs as well or something like that? I'm trying to remember. I think they're just little SVGs um, that I'm, I have random sizes and random positions. And then they just, they just loop an animation moving left to right. That's cool. And, and just as a reminder for people, since this is open source, you can actually like check it out online. We'll leave a link in the show notes. You can... You can see how he does it and fork Blackjack to make your own rules or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure, I, you know, I was tempted to go through the code and clean it up before anyone goes peeking. I'm sure there are some debugger statements in there and that sort of thing. Uh, but I hope people can learn from it. There's a lot of good lessons, I think, it, uh, in terms of managing the state in Vuex. Um, pretty much most of the game logic lives in Vuex. Uh, I also have a small library that... Uh, kind of gives you the value of various cards and kind of generates the deck and shuffles the decks. But I have UX actions that are called hit or stand or split. So that's really where most of the game logic lives. That's really cool. And something I like about this use case too is that it's very, for people who are familiar with Blackjack at least, like they know exactly what everything is supposed to do. And so it's a little bit easier, like as an introduction, I think, for, for a lot of these concepts, because they, they're already familiar with the rules of the game. They don't have to learn that. You know, they don't have to learn exactly you know, the specific logic for authentication or something like that. They can just see how it's implemented. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think and learning anything in the context of game development, I think is always a lot more fun than learning to make a dashboard widget or learning some arbitrary data like foo and bar. So yeah, feel free to come in, check it out. I hope people learn something from it. How did uh, Vuex influence the design of your app? Um, so I, I designed it very much like a state machine. So there are booleans like is dealing. Uh, and when that's true, I, you know, I disable the buttons so people can't mess with the, uh, the nice dealing animations that are happening. There are the Vuex best practices, which state that you should put asynchronous operations in your actions rather than mutations. So in the actions are where you'll find some set timeouts that actually control the pace of the game. Um, It's a little cheesy because it kind of leaves room for the animations. Uh, I think in a more elegant game where you want to make sure that things happen in order and you don't end up with these race conditions with the animations, um, you wouldn't want to use set timeout. But it worked great for me. Um, My justification to myself was that even if the animations weren't there, I would still want the game to have a certain a certain pace to it, a certain rhythm. So I left the, uh, the set timeouts and the actions there. Yeah, I was looking through the code. It makes a lot of sense what you, what you did there. Did you run into any problems, uh, like bugs that, that you had while you were dealing with the different uh, levels of state? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and there are still some small bugs here and there. Um, I think the, uh, the split, the animation's kind of rough. It doesn't really work right now. Um, and as I was mentioning with the set timeouts, um, if you actually deal and then move to another tab and come back really quick, a lot of the cards will just sort of spill down all at once. 
Um, so there's little things like that that I was just willing to accept um, just to get the game done, really. How do you go about designing the overall interface? Um, I actually drew up some mock-ups in Figma. So that helped me pick out the colors that I wanted and just the overall look. Um, I originally was going to make this like a, a, a mutant-themed game. So there was going to be you know, like a, a, a three-eyed jack instead of a one-eyed jack and things like that. But it was, just, it was just too much graphic work, and I decided to simplify it. So uh, I created these little suits, like the hearts are made up of triangles and circles and added uh, you know, planets and stars. So it just kind of became a space theme. What is Figma? Oh, Figma is a lot like Sketch, um, but it's a, uh, you can use it as a web app. Oh, okay. And how did you do the audio? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've thought about adding some sounds, uh, just haven't really made it a priority, but that's a good point. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I know that there's quite a few ways you can do audio, and I know some people would love it and some people hate it. But as a fun little, I don't know, just fun little project that you're using to put in your portfolio, you know, doesn't have to have it in there. I think it's, it's nice and succinct enough that you don't necessarily need it. There's an app I've used Although I, I wouldn't recommend this for most sites, I want to strongly say this: like, don't don't add sound effects to your site unless it's a game or something like that, because it's it's annoying. <laughs> but there is um, a sound effects generator uh, web app that I've I've used sometimes, uh, especially for like student projects to you know practice using the audio API and things like that. Uh, so I'll I'll drop a link to that. I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, definitely <laughs> don't want. I've, we've all been in those websites that uh, could use a lot less sound. Yeah. I actually made a mistake as a, as a little tangent for a, a client one time. As a, as a joke, this is someone I was, I was friendly with. And so we had this kind of rapport. I added like some smooth jazz to the, to the background whenever the, the page loaded, <laughs> but it backfired and they actually really liked it. <laughs> and I just say, no, 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 we, I, I had, I said, no, no, we can't, we can't add it. Seriously. Uh, I won't do it. <laughs> It was a joke. You were supposed to be appalled. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had uh, sounds from websites load into podcasts because I bring the website up and it starts playing. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hate it when you know, in the background starts just playing. Yeah, that's so annoying. Auto start videos on blogs. Those are yep. pretty awful. Well, I'll be sure to add some smooth jazz to Blackjack just for you. you <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing we can talk about, actually, is how you would go about adding sound to a game. The way I've seen it done frequently is to simply use uh, an audio element and assign it a ref. That way, View can uh, stop and play the sound within uh, its script tags. There's also the Web Audio API, of course, um, or you could use uh, Tone.js, which kind of simplifies the Web Audio API. Uh, and that way, you can generate your own sound effects. I'm not sure if anyone has used that before. Interesting. Simplifies the web audio API. Like I found the, the web audio API is like seems pretty good. Like it does the things that I need to do. Well, I would uh, say it simplifies making weird sound effects versus the web audio API. Okay. So for like playing uh, and generating custom sounds. Yeah, I, w I would say that's fair. I see. So I, I was curious, you know, we, we talked a, a little bit earlier about, you know, Canvas and WebGL. And for people who aren't familiar with these web technologies, could you briefly explain like, why you'd use it? I, I know you're using it in your, in your app at work to do sort of like 3D stuff or like CT scans, ultrasounds, x-rays, and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so yeah, Canvas uh, is going to get you a pretty big performance boost because it's you're not moving around all these DOM elements on the page. And that's just with the 2D Canvas. With WebGL, uh, you can also start doing 3D. Uh, you can write shaders in uh, the shader language. Um, so I, I know that you've actually done a talk recently on the performance of uh, Canvas versus WebGL. Yeah, so if you're doing WebGL, like. Do you have to like learn a new language and like learn about shaders and stuff like that? Um, no, not necessarily. So you've brought up before, if you're doing 3D, um, there are some uh, libraries out there that allow you to componentize what would otherwise be your, your Canvas code. Um, I know you've mentioned A-Frame and ViewBabylonJS were a couple where you can actually create components like uh, block or sphere or things like that. And I think you can always do the same thing with 2D even. You could kind of create these functional components that encapsulate the JavaScript that you would normally run to generate, say, a rectangle on a 2D canvas. You can kind of put that uh, in your script tags in a component that isn't necessarily associated with a DOM element might not even have a, you know, a template block in it. Uh, and you can use that to kind of compose a 2D canvas scene. Cool. So like, like if people have, have already been using Vue with like HTML and maybe SVG, you know, which is similar to uh, HTML and the fact that it's also XML, it's also like tags that you have on the page. And if you're using A-Frame or if you're using Vue Babylon JS, you also get, you know, essentially like HTML elements, um, although they're not HTML. So there, there are custom elements that have special behavior that uh, hook into, in View Babylon's case, ba a library called Babylon.js, and in A-Frame's case, a library called 3.js. Uh, so they're, they're using these underlying libraries to do more complex visualizations, but uh, by converting it to XML, it means that uh, it can be fully declarative just like all of the HTML and SVG in our app, rather than having to write out a list of instructions for like, okay, like create something that will, you know, color, that will create this color and then create this shape and blah, 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 blah. Because normally when you're drawing a shape, like in 2D Canvas, you would say, uh, let's start the point at this X and Y. Now let's extend it over here. Let's fill it in. But by being able to create uh, a component, um, you can just throw all that in there and then compose them just like you would using the normal component pattern that you're used to with Vue. Yeah, you can change it from a list of instructions that has to be run in a specific order to an element that just does what you've told it to do. Yeah, and I'd actually not heard of Vue Babylon JS until you spoke about it. Um, but I know that Babylon JS has been used quite a bit to create 3D games. You know, there's 3D pool and just about anything you can think of. They've there's a lot of games already out there. So being able to leverage Vue's uh, component pattern with that, I think is pretty exciting. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone's already working on a game with it right now. Yeah, I was, I was talking to the, the author of Vue Babylon.js and he has a lot more experience with it than I do, but he likes it a lot better than A-Frame or 3JS for making games. He says it's, it's much, uh, much better optimized for that and you can often get better performance out of it. And now... Just to make sure I have this straight, you would use something like Babylon or 3JS or the other one you mentioned if you're doing 3D games. But if you're doing a 2D game, 
then you have a lot more choices. You could use Canvas or you can use just divs and SVGs and animations. And is that right? Yeah. So uh, Canvas Element has a 2D context and a WebGL context. So the WebGL context uh, actually allows you to write a GLSL shader language that targets the graphics card. So that's what you would use for 3D. But for most other operations, you could use 2D Canvas or you could animate DOM elements. Um, the DOM elements are typically not going to be as performant, but if you're making a blackjack game or something like that, it works pretty well. So how do you decide like what you're going to build your app in? Like For the blackjack game, HTML was perfectly fine. You added a little SVG, you know, basically just for you know, these vector images. Uh, you know, you didn't do anything really, really fancy with them, if I'm understanding correctly. You didn't have like dynamically generated SVGs, right? Right. So I, I am curious, like, where's the line? How do you know? Or do you, do you just start with HTML and then port it over to Canvas or WebGL later if you need to? I think if you're running to, into a performance hit when you're trying it with DOM elements, then definitely go Canvas. If you're wanting to make a decision right out the gate, I think, I don't know if there's a good answer to that. Um, obviously, if you're trying to move around a thousand DOM elements, no, just, just use Canvas. If it's 10 and, I, you know, it's, I think then it comes down to whatever you're most comfortable with. I mean, that's why I'm using Vue to make a game is because I'm a front-end developer and that just seemed like a good thing to use. I'm not going to write it in Unity, even though I think a professional game developer might have defaulted to Unity or Game Maker or something like that. I've had good performance in a lot of cases with a thousand and even a, a few thousand sometimes. Yeah, it, it, it can be tricky. I, I would like, I, I usually personally try to start with HTML and SVG and then, you know, move over if I have to. And it's, it's usually not as much work as you think it's going to be, you know, because writing the HTML is usually very, uh, very easy comparatively because you already know exactly how it works and you don't have to learn anything new. Like, you know how the, you know, what attributes elements can take and you know how to style them with CSS, very likely. Um, yeah. And a lot of that logic you can completely reuse. Like, in fact, most of it will probably be reused when you're uh, moving to something like Canvas or, or WebGL. Did you make the argument that at a certain point when you have, like, you're trying to make this amazing game and you're trying to figure out what platform to use, you got to th start thinking about native sooner or later, like, you know, once the game gets complicated enough, it's not everybody, I don't know. I mean, would that be a consideration too? Maybe doing something Unity 3D instead of just bypassing going through WebGL or Canvas altogether? Yeah, I think so. You really have to consider the browser performance on different devices that could make relying on manipulating DOM elements a bit more prohibitive. But you can always package a view game for pretty much any native environment. Um, I know quite a few games on Steam are packaged with Electron. Um, plenty of games in app stores are packaged with Cordova or uh, Capacitor. Which, uh, I think Capacitor even is now starting to experiment with packaging Electron from it. So you could, in theory, use Capacitor to create all of your uh, native versions of your game. Wow, yeah, if Electron, that's cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see which Steam games are using that um, and get an idea of it and see how, how well it works and, and what they were able to do with it. That's kind of an interesting idea. Did we have Electron Expert on at one point? Didn't we have an episode on that? If we don't, I can hook us up. <laughs> That'd be cool. 
but I, I, I'm playing uh, to give a little plug. I, I might I might not be here for picks today. I might have to leave a little bit early. So this this actually goes really well into one of my picks, <laughs> which is a game called Crosscode, uh, which I've been playing a little of lately. Which is a sort of like old school RPG, although it was it was made relatively recently, I think. And it's just such a fun game, and it uses uh, web technologies, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's a, a really, really cool game using web technologies, and it just happens to run like on the desktop. Nice. Yeah, uh, a game that I think promoted itself as being an Electron game that's on Steam is called The Curious Expedition, and it's a roguelite set in the late 19th century. I haven't actually played it, but it looks pretty nice. Yeah, I'm Googling it now. It looks, yeah, that's, yeah, it looks awesome. Looks like they did a great job. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I'm also kind of curious for people who might want to get into game development. And, and by the way, if, if you have questions about doing game development from like a web developer's perspective, Posva, uh, that's his screen name, real name, uh, Eduardo San Martin Marote um, on the View team. He used to be a game developer before being a web developer, actually. So he's someone that you can, you can add on Twitter at Posva, P-O-S-V-A. Uh, if you have some questions about getting into game development, I'm sure he could help you. Nice. Um, but I am curious for people who, who do want to get like really close to the metal. And let's say they want to like write their own shaders and stuff like that. First of all, I, I'm curious, what would you write a shader for? Like when, when do you need a shader? That sounds complicated. You said there's like a different language that you have to write. Yeah, you know, I've, I've tried to learn it myself. It is beyond me. But um, there is a, if you go to shadertoy.com, you can see a bunch of shader language examples running in the browser that can do anything. So um, what you see it used for a lot, I think, is effects. So when things kind of maybe wobble and shake and morph and, you know, you can uh, apply hue saturation and lighting changes using GLSL. Um, But people will use it to generate entire 3D scenes on Shader Toy. You can see just whole landscapes in 3D with clouds and the moon and trees. So the sky is pretty much the limit with that. For those of us who don't know, what is a shader? When it's sunny out? Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, so let me find a technical explanation so I don't sound dumb. Oh, no, a technical explanation is, is probably not what we want because then we probably want to understand the technical <laughs> explanation. So I think, so at its basics, a shader is an algorithm that will manipulate shapes, let's say. I'm kind of winging this. I know. So there are a couple different kinds of shaders, which I'm blanking on. It's too bad that Divya had to step out for a moment because uh, she actually like knows the answer to this question, I think. 
uh, she's worked with shaders uh, directly more than I have. Uh, so maybe, maybe we'll come back to this and we'll drop a link to that shader playground resource you mentioned. That, that sounds really cool. I want to check that out myself. I also feel a little intimidated by shaders sometimes. And, and by the way, having done like a tiny bit of shader development, uh, a little gotcha that's super fun is that they are basically impossible to debug. So <laughs> there's no way to, you know, if you want to like console.log or you want to use the, de like the debugger like you're used to in JavaScript, there's just no way to do either of those things. And when something fails, it just fails silently. I mean, surely the, the developers have something. Or, or are, they, are they just that good? Do they, do they have good hunches on what's wrong when they need to fix something? I don't know. Maybe they just do the, like, stare at it for a while. I've done that before in code. Yeah, that works sometimes. They have to, like, basically learn to think like the shader. How does one think like the shader? It seems very... Interesting. But I, yeah, I'm sure when you use it enough, you probably, it comes naturally. I, I, I'm sure it doesn't come naturally to anyone, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that is interesting. And uh, yeah, if you, if you are using WebGL directly, it can be a, a bit of a learning curve. I, I'd say using Canvas directly is, is much easier. And if you're not making a 3D game or something else that, that needs to be in 3D, then uh, Canvas should do the job. Uh, I, I would only move to WebGL when you need that 3D. And I think Canvas has really good, I'm using, I'm looking at caniuse.com. Canvas has pretty good browser support. WebGL has good browser support, but I guess the new WebGL 2.0 has pretty bad browser support, only support in the latest. I don't know what the difference between WebGL 2.0 and the, the first one, but. I would imagine that if you're using, if you're using 3JS or Babylon.js or the libraries that build on top of them, um, you know, that, you know, use these libraries and these libraries use WebGL underneath, you know, to provide you a, a nicer layer of abstraction. I'd imagine that those are probably all using 1.0 or if they are using 2.0 for something, then it would probably be marked as an experimental feature since support is uh, still not quite there yet. Yep, that's probably right. Yeah, actually, in fact, right on caniuse.com, they say WebGL2 context is, they call it experimental WebGL2. So maybe that's part of it. Got it. So let's say that I decide, you know what, this is really great. I'm really enjoying the blackjack. I want to build my own poker game or side-scroller game like Mario or something. Where do you get started with something like that? So what I started with, with the blackjack game, is I actually just started with text on the screen. So it didn't have any graphics. Uh, I started with the game logic first. Um, I actually started first, let's generate a deck of cards. Then let's shuffle the deck of cards. Then let's see if I can uh, display uh, the cards that the dealer has and the cards that the player has, even if they're both face up right now. Um, and so it, you just just basically start, I think, at the core of the logic. Uh, at least that's what I did, and try to build the UI as simply as possible. So uh, what what do they call it? Developer graphics at first, I think, is what you want. So make it work first, and then make it pretty later. Exactly. And as far as RPGs are concerned, there's some really good RPG examples out there that I found. Probably the most interesting one I found was called Pip Quest. And it is by Gregor Terrell. Um, and he actually created a great blog post about it where he goes through how he made it. But it is a 2D RPG and it actually uses DOM elements. There's no canvas. And the really neat thing he did was he has 
six 2D maps the character can walk on that are mapped to a 3D cube using CSS transforms. So you're actually, your little 2D character is actually walking on a small cube-shaped planet as you're playing it that rotates in 3D, which is pretty awesome. I like the blog. I'm just looking up right here. One of the headlines is cubes are hard. So I'm guessing that whole, those six 3D cubes were not easy at first to, to, to rationalize how you're going to program in it. But he has a pretty good explanation how he broke down for each cube. It has six faces and, and how he's figuring out the XYZ coordinates and how he's doing the transforms. Pretty impressive. There's also a software called RPG Maker that actually uses JavaScript underneath the, the, the latest. For, it used to use Ruby. So if you're thinking like, wait, doesn't it use Ruby? It used to. Now it, you know, everything's done in JavaScript to be a little bit more accessible to people since more people know JavaScript than Ruby. Uh, so if you know JavaScript, you can do a lot of like RPG stuff with RPG Maker. And I think it's usually pretty expensive. But when I say pretty expensive, I, th- I think more than $100. But it often goes on sale for 90% off. So if you wait for one of the, the Steam sales, for example, you can get it 90% off and start building some really cool games. I have some experience with it through a program that I do locally called uh, Geek Scouts, where I have a, a Geek Scout building some really cool stuff with RPG Maker. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I've used uh, Phaser quite a bit, which is uh, a JavaScript uh, HTML5 game library. Um, It actually will use WebGL and then fall back to Canvas um, as needed. Um, But it it comes with all these libraries for doing things like particles. And um, it it has a lot of GLSL built into it. So it can kind of make making HTML5 games a lot easier. Um, I don't know that anyone has done anything specifically relating Vue to Phaser, but that might be interesting to see if anyone does. We could have a Vue Phaser library. Maybe. Maybe you, dear listener, could be the author. (laughs) Someone created a starter pack for it, it looks like, a Vue Phaser starter, but I don't see, yeah, I don't see like a a library for it. I'll talk to the author of uh, Babylon.js and see what he thinks of Phaser too. Curious, since he knows more about this stuff. I remember when I was a kid, we used to have RPG Maker, but I think it's a different RPG Maker than the one out now. We had like a really old school one. I think you even, they even had it for the consoles at one time, or at least the PC. I mean, it's come a long way, a lot more advanced than it was in the past, which is cool that, you know, anybody can just start picking up. I I think it's definitely a lot more accessible. I felt, I felt like, you know, years ago, you had to learn, you had to learn Unity. You either had to learn Unity or C++ or C Sharp or something to start making games. And now, you know, anybody can, even just with simple JavaScript and some simple rules, um, you, you, can, you can make your own game. You can make your own in the browser, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think that's how game development has really progressed is, you know, rather than just using the same old technology, you try out a technology that might not normally be used for game development. Uh, and then you end up with all these libraries and great things that people can use going forward. I was going to say, I guess... What if someone doesn't want to build their entire game in Vue? What if they want to write their Canvas code by hand, but um, does Vue still provide them with anything? Um, So I was going to kind of talk about games that use Vue just for the UI. Like maybe your, your game map with your little character, that's all a separate sort of game, but maybe it emits events to let the UI update. Uh, one example I've found for that is this game called Rotten Soup. Um, 
And so it actually has title screens, inventory screens, uh, and the game over screens and things like that are actually done in view. But then there's uh, all this separate code that actually runs the actual canvas where the little character lives and, and moves around in, which I think is a pretty interesting approach, um, is using view for you know, a, a chat window or an event log that says player one has died or player two has scored this many points. You know, I think view still has a place in games like that where maybe you still want to write most of your, your game loop, I guess, outside of view. Although, I mean, is there an advantage to that, to keeping most of the game loop outside of you? Um, well, I think if you're used to writing a game, I think in a, in a classic pattern where there's a game loop and you're optimizing for a certain frame rate and you're counting ticks and that sort of thing, if you come from that sort of background, it might be nice for you to create a game like you're used to, but still be able to leverage what Vue has to offer and what a web app has to offer. Um, so you can get things like chat or you can pop up all these little modals and things like that in a browser. I see. So when you really need to get as sort of as close to the metal as possible. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, uh, you've worked some with SVG, at least uh, on the designer side. Have you done any dynamic SVGs before? You know, I've used Vue to kind of manipulate some attributes in in SVGs. Um, I haven't done anything crazy like Sarah Drasner will do. Um, so, but that option obviously is there. I, I think you, you've presented some examples of that of that in your last talk, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think it's really cool that within SVG, you know, you can make all these sorts of different shapes, and you can actually like dynamically change what the shapes will be, either with like a, a, an animation. Like some of the my favorite stuff that Sarah's done uh, uses uh, the GSAP timelines. You know that that feature where it, it goes through and, it, you know, it has characters, you know, like blinking and stuff like that. You know, so these are drawn with SVG. And then sh- she's made it so that the shapes like change so that it's like eyelid is like going down and then going up. It's like so, so cool. But I, a lot of the times uh, I'll find myself just like changing the shape a little bit. And there is one example that I can, I can drop in here actually for playing with the shape. I, I in order to figure out what you can do with SVG and really all these technologies, I really like to make some kind of demo app at first that just has like a bunch of different sliders and inputs and lets me change all the different properties of this SVG element so that I can, you know, for example, for a polygon, give it more sides and, you know, change how those, you know, points animate, uh, you know, and change its shape and change its position and have it like roll around and, and just, you know, explore, like, what are the different kinds of things that I could do with this? And that'll often give me ideas for how I might use it effectively in an app. Yeah, that's interesting. There's really nothing holding anyone back from making a component that is uh, a little actor in your game um, that is SVG based. And you just have these various methods that you can call like walk, then that would essentially just update the SVG animation. I think it'd be interesting to see if anyone could make an entire game using nothing but SVG animation. I'm not sure if such a thing exists other than very sort of simple examples. So we, we actually did a contest at uh, ViewComp Toronto recently. Um, if you search for, I think we used hashtag Vunicorn. Uh, we had people submit submissions with hashtag Vunicorn. And we had a lot of really cool like demos building off of this code pen we asked people to just like do something fun with the uh, ViewComp Toronto logo. And we got a lot of really cool stuff, including 
someone who made like a, a, a matching game with that logo. Um, 